This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 207. Ask Larry Kotlikoff how to get what's yours. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Guys, before we get into today's immense, incredible content, I have to do a five-star review reading because, man, we're getting a ton, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who's taken a moment to say what this podcast has meant to you. So this is Yaffa Naturalista, and uh, thank you to Yaffa for uh, this person's incredible five-star review. Thank you. Uh, He or she writes, life-changing and five stars just started this journey in the Not Your Average Financial Podcast, and I'm excited to get on board. So much support was provided by Mark and his team throughout the process. So Yafav Naturalista, thank you for your five-star review. And guys, remember, go to the iTunes store and leave a five-star review for our podcast. Take a picture of it and email it to hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com. And we are not above bribery. We will send you a free copy of a book. Uh, of your choice whenever you send that uh, five-star review to us. We'd be honored because it just helps uh, reinforce that this is quality content that other new listeners should spend their time listening to. And thank you for spending your valuable time listening to today's episode because we've got some incredible content to get into and an incredible guest to introduce you to today. We have a wide-ranging, varied conversation among a number of different topics that, that span the gamut from Social Security to the strategies for not outliving your income in retirement, and his new book that's coming out, Magic Money, uh, which again would be uh, number 16 for him. So guys, let's uh, let's get right into this incredible interview. Let me tell you about Lawrence Kotlikoff. He's a professor of economics at Boston University. He's a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. He's a fellow of the Econometric Society a research associate of the National Bureau of Economic Research and president of Economic Security Planning Incorporated, which is a company specializing in financial planning software. He's an active columnist uh, in Forbes, Bloomberg, The Financial Times, uh, The Economist, Yahoo.com, Huffington Post, and more. Professor Kotlikoff received his BA in economics from the University of Pennsylvania in 1973 and his PhD in economics from Harvard University in 1977. Professor Kotlikoff was a senior economist with the President's Council of Economic Advisors and was author and co-author of over 16 books, hundreds of professional journals and articles. Uh, His most recent book is The Clash of Generations, Spend Till the End, Get What's Yours, How to Max Out Your Social Security, and so many more. Professor Kotlikoff's writings and research address financial reform, personal finance, taxes, social security, healthcare, deficits, generational accounting, pensions, savings, and insurance. He is a true polymath when it comes to the financial world, both at a macro level and on a personal level, which is very difficult to do. So Professor Kotlikoff has served as a consultant to the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank. The list goes on and on, guys. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor. He's provided expert testimony on numerous occasions to committees of Congress, including the Senate Finance Committee, the House Ways and Means Committee, and the Joint Economic Committee. 
Guys, what an introduction. I can't wait to show you all of what we had to cover. And we did. We covered a lot. I think it'll be quite an eye-opening episode or an ear-opening episode, depending. And uh, so I won't make you wait any longer. Here's our wide-ranging conversation with Lawrence Kotlikoff. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Mark. Thanks for having me. You've spent a lot of your time and energy and your attention in the kind of the conventional world of financial planning and its errors or its flaws or its oversights. And you've you've now created something called economics-based planning. How does that compare with traditional financial planning? Well, I think, I mean, you have a broader question there, like, you know, why is, you know, the American worker not having real wages go up and so forth? Economics has been in this business of uh, thinking about personal finance since uh, 1930, basically. A very famous economist named Irving Fisher, who was the top economist in the world in the early part of the 1900s at Yale, developed the idea of consumption smoothing, uh, which is basically the basics economics of of saving and consumption. But the basic idea is, uh, you know, you don't want to be consuming all your um, steaks at one point in time, you want to be spreading them out over your lifetime. If you had, let's say you had a freezer full of lifetime frozen steaks that you're going to eat, and are you going to thaw them all out today and eat 3000 steaks, or you're going to or whatever 50,000 steaks, or you're going to thaw them out through time, and so that you're not starving when you're 100. And the idea is you're going to, and that's because of our physiology. So he put this into an economic framework that says that um, we want to uh, smooth our living standard. We don't want to consume everything at a point in time. We'll get more lifetime happiness by spreading it out. And I did a little experiment with my son, uh, younger son, when he was about, I guess, about eight. I took him into a bakery. We bought about 20 uh, delicious chocolate cupcakes that he loved. And uh, brought him home in the afternoon with, and I put all the twenty on the plate. And his wife, his mom wasn't there, so I said, "Look, mom's not here. Eat as many as you'd like." So the first one goes down a nanosecond. The next one goes down like a two nanoseconds. Uh, the third one is a little bit slower. He's kind of halfway through the fourth, and I say, "David, eat as many as you'd like. You know, they're all, mom's not here. You can have as many as you want." He said, um, "Let's save the rest for tomorrow." Literally, this is what he said. So right away, he's thinking of consumption smoothing. Now, that you want to smooth your consumption. Uh, that means you want to figure out how to have a smooth spending path uh, after taking into account the off-the-top expenses like tuition and uh, uh, housing. You have to pay for that off the top and taxes but and Medicare Part B premiums. But apart from that, you want to have a smooth ride. But... That smooth ride is constrained by your lifetime resources, your labor income, your initial assets, your retirement accounts, how much you're going to be, uh, uh, how, you, how much you're going to pay in taxes uh, through time. Obviously, that's affecting your off-the-top spending and therefore how much of these resources you'll have left over to spend. So our software that we've developed through my company, um, which is called Maxify.com, M-A-X-I-F-I.com, uh, figures out from your resources, uh, your current and what you project to be your future earnings, for example, you and your wife and your future social security benefits. Hey, how can we get um, 
and that all the taxes, because we're internally calculating federal and state taxes, how can we get you the highest smooth living standard, highest level such that that path of spending um, it doesn't violate your lifetime budget? Mm-hmm. Now, that's very different from conventional planning. Conventional planning says to you, Mark, uh, tell me how much you'd like to spend in retirement. And you might say you'd like to spend a billion dollars a week in retirement. That's a lot right? of cupcakes. It's completely disconnected from the reality of your budget. So we don't ask that kind of, in our software, we don't ask that. And the economics doesn't ask that question because uh, it's not a reasonable question. It's, it's not, why, what does it matter what people would like to spend? Uh, we'd all like to spend the most possible. We'd all like to go to space, like with Jeff Bezos, maybe uh, not together with him in the spacecraft, but on our, on our own, maybe, you know, we can uh, <laughs> wave to him as we pass him, <laughs> but we can't afford it. And we have to, uh, that's what economics says. We have to live within our budget and there's no use. And if you ask us a ridiculous question, then you start going down a rat hole. You start saying, okay, uh, how can people get to that target, which is unrealistic to begin with? So, and you don't want to force them to save more because uh, that's not going to make them buy what you're selling. That's going to make them unhappy. So you say, let's put them into a high yield security it raises the probability of them making, quote, their target. Uh, now you've got them into high yield, high fee stocks, but and you're not necessarily showing them the downside of how how bad the downside could be because the focus tends to be in the in this area on the upside. Hey, we've raised the probability of you of your making your plan, making your target. But uh, to me, the whole process is disconnected entirely from economics. And um, it's, it's inducing uh, people to buy, uh, to invest too, in too risky a manner and not to think about what should I be spending? What should I be saving right now? I want to have a spending in the future, but I want to have the same living standard in the present. I, w- I don't want to have my living standard drop off the cliff. And maybe as I get older, I'll have my living standard decline, uh, taking into account the fact that I may not live that long. But I don't want to plan based on my life expectancy because I may not live on t- die on time. So that's the other big problem with conventional planning that uh, economics says you have to plan to your live to your maximum age of life because you might. That's the worst case financial dis, uh, um, scenario that you living have to, to living too long. Yeah, it would yeah. be. A, a, it's hard to imagine that being a, a bad thing. Living too long, but what yeah. is the problem with living too long? Yeah, financially, it's the worst case scenario. I mean, psychologically or family-wise, as long as you have your health, it's the best scenario, right? But, and we don't like to jinx ourselves by thinking about living beyond our life expectancy. So we get into our brain and and Wall Street, the financial community gets into our brain that we should focus on our life expectancy, which is the average age at which, you know, a million people exactly like us are going to die, you know? That's the average, but we're not going to die at the average age. Just like, uh, you know, we're not going to think about it like having a thousand houses and, uh, uh, gee, on average, this one will burn down and that one won't. So we'll, you know, kind of break even. We, you know, it's cheaper not to buy the homeowner's insurance because the premiums are more expensive. Uh, so we'll just play the odds. We can't play the odds with our lifespan. Well, the, let me uh, let me just uh, step in here. The, the name of our podcast, as you know, is not your average financial podcast. And so we don't believe in averages around here anyway. 
Nobody right. is average. Nobody's average. And let's say 1% of a thousand houses will burn down this year. It's not like 1% of our house will burn. That's not how it works. Either it all burns down or it's not burned down. And so you buy the catastrophic insurance and that's, that leads you to buy, you know, with a, a social security buying catastrophic insurance is really buying, waiting to get your maximum annuity because then an annuity is an insurance product that continues to pay off and as long as you live. And if you're a patient, almost uh, 80%, I would say, of households should be waiting till 70 individuals to take Social Security. Hmm. Only about 6% do. Wow. We have massive mistakes. Of people leaving huge amounts of money just on Social Security, which for most people is their first or second largest financial asset. They don't realize it. So uh, our software is optimizing you know, once it figures out your living standard, it figures out how to raise it by robo-optimizing over social security decisions. There are 13 different social security benefits. Our software handles 11 of the 13. Most people don't know about them. Most people, and if you don't apply for a benefit, you won't get it. In other words, they're not going to come and tell after you and say, hey, you forgot to apply for this. You're 75. You should have been collecting for five years. No, you've just lost basically four and a half years. It'll give you six months retroactive benefits, but you've lost four and a half years of benefits. I've seen some of the the pictures and charts of this software, and you know, one in particular, I noticed um, someone was making, let's say, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a household, right there. Uh, but the 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 line where it showed the kind of the lifetime consumption amount might say seventy five thousand a year. Like, hey, that's the amount of money you need to spend so that you make that money build up and you can save it when you're earning and you can spend it when you're not earning. I mean, that is kind of the, isn't that kind of the, the fundamental problem? You've got this limited period of time to earn money and then you have this unknown amount of time to have to live on it. Right. That's really the difficult piece because no one lives to their average life expectancy. We all have our own. Exactly. On the so, yeah. So our software says, let's plan for you to live to your maximum age. Yeah. But inside the software, if you want to tell the program you'd like your living standard to decline starting, let's say at 75, maybe at between 75 and 100, it declines 20%. You'll take a gamble that um, you're not going to live that long. And therefore, you'll spend a little bit more when you're young and less when you're old, if you actually do. That's what economics says yeah. you do. You don't plan for sure to die at 75, because if you did, you'd spend every single penny right up at age 75 and then be starving. Starving the next, the next day. day. You ate all your cupcakes too fast. How do we deal with unforeseen uh, expenses? I'm thinking about the long-term care expense, which might be a massive jump in our spending in the last two or three or four years of our life. How do we deal with unforeseen expenses when we don't know what they're going to be? Well, I think, um, so in our software, there are clearly long-term care policies that uh, home health care policies that may be a value, uh, but the concern I have is if you're, let's say 65 and you buy a policy that may not kick in until you're 85 and whether these policies are inflation indexed just for inflation, just regular inflation, let alone home healthcare, uh, home, you know, healthcare inflation, which is much high, has been much higher. So uh, I would say one, you could run a scenario where you self-insure, you just say, I'm going to have this episode. I'm just going to save enough. I'll have enough money in reserve. Uh, including thinking about my home equity that's trapped. You use that. If, I, if we have to go into a nursing home, I'll sell the house. 
use that to get into a nice uh, nursing home. And what's the, what's your particular probability of having to be in a nursing home? It's mm -hmm. we need to have a lot of data about you to do that accurately. Family genes and um, you know your family tree and life history and so forth. Yep. But you bring up a really great point. And one of the one of the strategies we've helped our clients employ is uh, sometimes cash value life insurance policies. Lawrence, you're probably familiar with these. You can use the life insurance death benefit as a free, no cost uh, use for long-term care or chronic illness or even home health care, uh, where there's no long-term care premium per se, but it's a it's a accessing the death benefit on this side of the grass, so to speak, for you know home health care needs or chronic illness, Alzheimer needs, that sort of thing, chronic care or long-term care, um, which you know, is a, it's sort of a use it or use it scenario there. That way, if you don't need it, yeah. you still leave it to the family. If you do, so you've I'd, got like it to learn, I'd like to learn more about those. Uh, maybe offline, you can educate me some okay. because um, I, I can, I write a lot for Forbes and other outlets. Uh, yeah, that's terrific. That's a great contingent policy, but is it inflation indexed? One thing that's kind of interesting is on these death benefits, the death benefit grows as paid up additions and dividends are added to it. And so the more you put into the policy, the life insurance, the larger it is. And then typically you can get access to that larger death benefit. So I'd happy, happy to chat with you about that. Yeah, yeah, there are things. Um, I, I, I have a book coming out in January. It's called Money Magic. It's, it's about the magic of economics, the fact that we have lots of tricks up our sleeves from having spent 100 years working on this topic. That, that the people in the financial industry don't have because they're not using the right tools and they haven't necessarily thought about it in the way we are. Could, could you, um, and I'm glad you brought up the, the book because I really want you to share, you know, magicians are never supposed to reveal their secrets, uh, but would you be willing to share a, a magician's secret? Like what, what is some money magic that we can do yeah, that um, most financial planners aren't thinking about that we should be thinking about? I'll give you a couple uh, suggestions. I mean, Social Security's benefit, retirement benefits starting at age 70 is after inflation, 76% higher uh, than if you take it at 62. So right off the bat, we're talking about an enormous incentive to be patient for most people. Uh, here's another secret. You might have taken Social Security early because you got laid off and you needed the money. And then you might think that going back to work was going to lose you your benefits because of what's called the earnings test. Well, they have something called the re, um, the adjustment of the reduction factor, which adjusts upward your benefit based on how much benefit you lost before full retirement age. This adjustment happens at full retirement age, your benefit gets kicked up. So the earnings test, you should not, for most people, consider it an extra tax on your earnings. You should go back to work and not worry about losing your benefits, basically. From I would say 95% of the people, again, our software can tell you if this is the if you're in the 95%, knowing that you're actually can earn money without losing all these benefits over your lifetime, it, knowing that if you took benefits early and you're now full retirement age, that you can suspend your benefit and start it up 32% or 24% higher, depending on your full retirement age, at least a quarter higher, basically. Uh, at 70 adjusted for inflation uh, a lot of people retire early then they say well i'm going to take my social security early because i want to keep my 401k money and earn these great returns on the stock market 
Well, the stock market's been doing gangbusters for a long time now, but we've seen periods of time where it's, uh, you know, in the, in the Great Recession, it went down 53% over a year and a half. In the 30s, early 30s, it went down 86%. In 2000, it went down 50%. So it's a very wild ride. If you put it all in the stock market, retirement money, and it drops in half, you're likely to say, I can't take this anymore. I got to pull out. And now you're in a permanently lower living standard. So what I'm saying is, if you think about your stock investments on a risk-adjusted basis, which is what economics says, the return right now is zero. There's so much risk in holding stocks that the market is, is saying that if you invest in inflation index bonds, called TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, you can get nothing. And that's, wow. and that's selling side by side with these stocks. So people are making the decision to be in stocks versus these bonds. And the differential is telling you the risk. That's a great, so, so let me make sure I heard you right there. You're saying that essentially a risk-adjusted return on the stock market is zero. Zero right now. You can look it up on the real yield, treasury real yield curve. You can just Google it. You'll see that's it's awesome. zero. That's, or actually negative. That's surprising. Uh, oh, it's slightly yeah. negative. That's incredible. Well, it, today. It, uh, it kind of goes with some studies we, we've uh, researched. Uh, you might be familiar with Dalbar and their quantitative analysis for investor behavior study. Uh, Dalbar uh, puts out this report every year of real investor returns, those that are in um, mm -hmm. equities and so forth. And the 30-year 30 30 year average return for equity fund investors was 3.8%. Now, to your point, risk adjusts that, and you might be in slightly negative territory. Uh, am I tracking with you? Here's, that would be here's the thing. You're sitting here at 62. You just retired. You have a little bit of money in your checking account. You're saying, I need to get to, um, uh, can I make it to 70 to wait for Social Security? Uh, uh, I don't want to take my retirement account money because I'm going to make a killing. But on a risk-adjusted basis, I'm going to make nothing. Hmm, okay. Yeah. So, but if I wait on Social Security, I'm going to get a 76% higher number. A fantastic wow. return. Yeah. So so most people are getting this wrong. They're based, most people are saying, let's take the Social Security early and leave the money and we'll make a killing on the market. And after you adjust for risk, it's exactly the wrong It's I, So I that's a it. money magic secret. I, I love it. That's great. Um, I think most people would casually, at least they admit to me casually in financial planning conversations that Social Security and Medicaid uh, are government programs that are unsustainable. Um, but many of them, I don't think realize just how, how you know, at, at risk, they put our country in terms of financial solvency. Could you help maybe clarify your view of kind of the future of these two programs, uh, Medicare specifically, uh, but also Social Security? Uh, should we consider Social Security secure? No, the Social Security system is, is um, like $53 trillion in the red in terms of its unfunded liability. If you look at all the projected outlays minus all the projected uh, revenues minus all minus the trust fund. Treat the, a lot of people don't think the trust fund is real. I do, mm -hmm. but anyway, uh, it doesn't really. It's so small, it doesn't matter. If you look at Table Six F One in the 2020 report, they, I think they're too afraid to put out the new report. But anyway, there's a 53 trillion dollar unfunded liability. That's two and a half years of GDP. Wow, this is it's enormous thing. Okay, it's bigger than official debt. 
by a mile. And we got the official debt going from 30, uh, 35% of GDP back in 2008 to 100% today. Now you're thinking about when sh should I take Social Security? Should I take it early? Well, it turns out that the increase uh, in your lifetime benefits from waiting is so powerful that um, you still want to wait, even if you're talking about a 25% benefit cut. And certainly if you're very close to, let's say you're 60 or 62, you're early, you're pretty close to, to um, the age at which you can start taking your benefit, which is 62. Well, the chance that they're actually gonna cut benefits on you once you start collecting. I mean, these politicians would um, know that that will be the end of their yeah. careers. Because... Yeah, there's 65 million reasons why today's benefit might not get cut, right? All the, those voting seniors, maybe. All these uh, seniors, yeah, yeah. and when it comes to, to voting election day, they have nothing to do but to go vote. That's right, yeah. Well, well, uh, you know, when, are, are working. But maybe we can anticipate some adjustments in the future. That's a fair answer. Very good. Um, as we um, well, as we kind of wrap up, I want to talk about what is limited purpose banking. If you recall, we had this enormous financial crisis. Seventeen major banks failed in two thousand and eight. And why did that happen? It, it's because all these banks were leveraged, including insurance companies like AIG, and then we had these. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were in effect leveraged uh, quasi-governmental institutions. So these middlemen that are running our financial system are saying, give us your money, we'll promise to pay it back for sure, and then we're going to invest at a risk. And by the way, if we go under, if we can't, if our investments go south, we're going to get the government to bail you out. That's the way the system works. And then uh, what we had was a run on the banking system because some banks got in trouble uh, because people suspected, we weren't even for sure, weren't even accurate on this, the Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns and other companies uh, had these opaque assets, nobody could see what they were, uh, that they were in trouble, that those assets were no good. And therefore, not so much people, but other banks said, we're not gonna give you any money to roll over your debts. What I'm suggesting with limited purpose banking is that the banks just take in money on an equity basis. Say, so if you want to invest with us, uh, uh, give us your money, and we're going to, uh, but we're going to hand you back stock. So if our investments go south, the value of your stock is going to go south. So this is what's called the mutual fund system. We already have uh, most American workers have most of the money in mutual funds through their 401k plans. I'm saying the entire financial system should be run as equity finance, mutual fund uh, funds so that we have no leverage among the middlemen. Okay. Yeah. Just a, a quick it. analogy, uh, Mark, I'll just, uh, just take one more second. Imagine you had the gas stations in the country uh, uh, who are intermediating between the oil refineries and the, and the, uh, the drivers, you know, the commuters. Suppose they said, we're going to sell, we were selling gas, but today we're going to sell gas, but also options. If the price of gas goes up above uh, $10 a gallon, uh, you won't have to pay anything more. But give us some money today. We're going to sell you the security, and we promise that you'll never have to pay more than $10. And let's say they sell a zillion of these securities, and then the price goes up to $20. Now, every single gas station in the country is broke and goes under and then walk away with their keys to the get to the pumps and we have no transportation system that's 
Now, if that happened, Congress the next day would say, you cannot leverage, this is an essential business, you cannot run it at a risk. You cannot leverage your, if you want to gamble on the price of stock, do it on your own time in your own house, uh, on your own account, with your own money, but not with your company. Your company is not allowed to leverage itself if you're going to run a gas station. Hmm, that's okay, great. We have the banks uh, leveraging them. So we have, I have this book called Jimmy Stewart is Dead. And if anybody have seen, has seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, you'll know that Jimmy Stewart was the banker, the lovely, uh, trustworthy banker. The reason it's called Jimmy Stewart is Dead is we cannot trust individuals like Jimmy Stewart to be around there to, to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. We, we can't rely on, we have to rely on a system that is fail-proof. And this system just failed. We rebuild it the same way we had it. It's like, you know, you have uh, the, the three little pigs and one had two have houses of straw or whatever, and one has a house of brick and the wind comes and, they, and or the wolf comes and blows down two of the three houses out of straw. We rebuild the banking system out of straw. Mm, That's just yeah. what we did. You're speaking to our audience. You know, our, our one of our key strategies is a concept we call bank on yourself, uh, where you're banking on yourself, becoming your own source of financing and, uh, you know, firing the bankers that caused some of the trouble that we all saw 10, 12 years ago and uh, still will in the future. We're not out of the woods yet, as you so rightly said, Lawrence. So thank you for your good work and giving us something different to think about. If all we're told is the average way to do things, we're going to keep hitting the same, you know, nail on the street and we need to avoid the nail to, to avoid those flat tires for our financial life. So um, we do need to wrap up. What is uh, the best way folks can, can find you and reach out to you or follow along with everything you're doing? So uh, I'd say, um, I'll give you a couple of websites, kotlikoff.net, uh, just my last name.net is um, my main website. Everything I write, columns and articles are uh, posted there. Also blog, uh, podcasts like yours will be posted there, uh, link to it. Um, there's this tool, maxify.com, M-A-X-I, not a, not Y, but I, M-A-X-I.com, which is this full financial planning tool uh, that you can purchase. Uh, we have another tool that's just called Maximize My Social Security, if you're just focused on Social Security. And then there's AnalyzeMyDivorceSettlement.com, which um, can help you if you're getting divorced. And, uh, you know, if you're getting divorced, half of us get divorced. So it's like part of life. It's not... Uh, what we say in Yiddish is a shunda. It's not a disgrace. Yeah. Or, uh, it's really to be kind of to be expected. And that's another, another money magic secret that I discuss in the book. Mm-hmm. And that book's going to be coming out in, uh, it's at, you can pre-order it from Amazon, Money Magic. And uh, there's a link at kotlikoff.net to it. And that's K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F.net, guys. So go check that out. You can find everything there. Uh, Lawrence Kotlikoff, thank you so much for coming on our show. Anytime. Let's do it some more. Thank you again, Lawrence Kotlikoff, for coming on Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Guys, this was a long interview, so I won't delay things too long here. But I'd love to know from you, what was your main takeaway? You know, it, it's, it's interesting that people just casually admit that Social Security and Medicare are just unsustainable, but they don't realize how, how bad the future of these programs can be. And I thought he brought up some really interesting strategies to maximize your Social Security benefit as well as our long-term financial sustainability. And guys, don't forget to look up his software, Max5 Planning, as well as the new book that's coming out here pretty soon, Magic Money. 
So guys, thank you for joining me. And thank you, Lawrence Kalikoff, again, for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.